With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your free resource for everything Ohio State news. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you from beautiful Boulder, Colorado, on Thursday, August 17, 2017, with another edition of our 2017 Opponent Preview Series podcast. If you want to listen to this episode or any of the old episodes, including all of the season preview podcasts, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Holyland, or you can subscribe, which I highly recommend, by going to Apple Podcasts and searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. With that out of the way, let's get into today's episode, and this should be one of our best ones. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. We are going to preview the Penn State Nittany Lions, one of the two teams that knocked off Ohio State last year, of course, in that soul-crushing game out in Happy Valley. And to talk about that and the 2017 team, I am joined by the managing editor of BlackShoeDiaries.com, SB Nation's Penn State site, Kyrie Green. Kyrie, how are you doing today? It's Carrie. Carrie, see, I, I messed it up. We, t- we talked about it before we recorded, and I was like, I'm not going to be the guy that messes your name up. And sure enough, I mess it up. So hell of a way to start the show today. So that's hilarious. It's all good. I, I'm doing great. I'm in uh, lovely Maryland right now amidst uh, those wonderful fans. It's no Colorado Springs. I'm just saying. See, this is probably going to be the first ever civil discussion in Ohio State Penn State history. I think. Really? I don't know, man. I see. I don't. I, I've met a few Penn State fans, and usually, you know, I've never had any fisticuffs with Penn State fans. But there's, there's always like that tension for Ohio State. The big rivals, Michigan, but there's always kind of a level of respect, and for whatever reason. It's and I don't know if this is the same for you or for Penn State fans, but it seems like there's legitimate hate between Ohio State and Penn State, and the interactions are always more tense with Penn State fans than they are with like Michigan fans. At least that's my experience. That's interesting. Um, I actually I feel like there is some level of hatred, but it's more on the program level. Um, every time that I've interacted with Ohio State fans on a personal level, I've had awesome discussions you know and and of course there's of course there's your general ribbing but no i i get along great with with well i get along great with almost everybody but no there's there's definitely some animosity towards the program in general but i i definitely think that on the most part the people i know as well you know just get along i've had ohio staters at my last couple ohio state at penn state tailgates and i mean we there's good of course but there is with any opponent you know so I think this year, though, it's going to be a marquee game, and I'm trying to debate whether I want to head over to Columbus for it or not. Well, it should be a lot of fun, and there's no animosity on this podcast. Before I hit record, me and Carrie were talking shit about everybody, so we're good <laughs> over here. Oh, you weren't supposed to bring that up. Moving moving into to Penn State and the program, last year, obviously, 
Such a magical year for them. They, they go 11-3. and three. They beat Ohio State in that emotional game. They almost and probably should have won the Rose Bowl in that great game. Stepping back from all that, how would you assess the job that James Franklin has done in such a short amount of time? Well, I've been a fan of Franklin since the day he was hired. I actually, he was my number one pick to replace Bill O'Brien. And honestly, I thought we wouldn't be able to get him. Um, I know Pennsylvania kid, and obviously he was looking to move up from Vanderbilt to a more high-profile program. I guess that that mentality of, you know, when Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien was probably plan F. You know, no one, multiple feelers were out and no one wanted the job. So I was still in that kind of mindset that we wouldn't be able to get a, such a up-and-coming coach like Franklin. He, I, I assumed he was going to go to another another big program and we would be down to plans, you know, C or D. Like we'd be talking about coach Al Golden right now. So I was I was really surprised and happy that Franklin was our coach. And and I think that maybe because of that and because a lot of Penn State fans don't follow any football outside of Penn State. If they do, it's Big Ten only. Um, whereas I tend to follow, if not watch every game, I tend to follow a lot more. So I was I was pretty impressed with the job he did at Vanderbilt, whereas a lot of people didn't seem to respect that as much as I thought that they should. So I give him a little bit more latitude, especially knowing how bare a cupboard O'Brien left at certain positions like offensive line due to the sanctions. So I was I was willing to give him a little bit more leeway than a lot of the people who were calling for his firing, you know, a year ago. The, they were, the student section chanted for Bill O'Brien, I mean, sorry, for James Franklin to be fired at halftime of the Minnesota game last year, which was the first game of our game streak. So, yeah, it was it was legit. I got really pissed in the stadium when that happened because, you know, you one play here or there, even though the, the years before and we wouldn't have been talking about seven and six teams, we'd be talking about eight and five, nine and four teams instead of instead of, you know, barely making a bowl game. But I'm a, I've always been a fan. He's very different for Penn State, obviously, um, young, energetic, social media savvy, which even though O'Brien was a really good interview, it's kind of ornery, which a lot of Penn Staters loved or hated, but definitely not social media savvy like Franklin is, which is a, is a very diff different dynamic and I think leads him well in recruiting, but also it, it bolsters those detractors, you know, fans of other programs who liken him to a snake oil salesman, you know, all talk, no backup of it. And I think last year he kind of proved everybody wrong that he actually can be a decent head coach, but let's not, I know I'm talking and talking and talking, but even though he's uh, competing against Urban Meyer every, every year in ball and just to, to a lesser degree, Mark Antonio, he's only in right now going into his seventh year as a head coach. So even though he's now competing at that level, he doesn't have all of those decades of coaching experience that those guys that are legitimately the best in the nation right now up there with Nick Saban, at least, and, and Meyer especially. And I see, I think you see that every year he um, he's kind of changed his game plan a little bit. I, I remember two years ago uh, he was criticized game in and game out on his uh, time management skills or lack thereof. And this past year, he nailed time management like nobody's business. I mean, that the end of the Big Ten championship game, 
they managed the clock perfectly. I don't even remember where we were starting. I, I, I know it was, I got off in my impressions of, of Franklin, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a fan. And I think that there's, there's more people now who see why he was given the leash he was given in the Penn State community. Although you're always going to have detractors. You're always going to have the people who, you know, watched Joe Paterno for 50 years. So no one ever is going to live up to him. And um, even though, you know, Franklin won the Big Ten, <laughs> coached his team in one of the most exciting Rose Bowls ever, there's always going to be a faction of the fan base willing to turn on him the, the moment something even slightly goes wrong. And you mentioned the, the nine-game winning streak last year, and the Ohio State game was a part of that. And if you look down the list, there were teams like, you know, the Maryland game, they blew them out. They blew Rutgers out like they should. They blew Michigan State out. And there were other games where, like Ohio State, where they were on the ropes. The Big Ten title game against Wisconsin, they were on the ropes. Indiana was a tight game. But it just seemed like they had this team of destiny mentality once they got on that winning streak that was able to carry them through that with, of course, having great players and awesome offense and good coaching. But do you think there's going to be any change in their mentality this season? Because they go from that underdog role that they were in last year and not many people really thinking that they were going to be able to pull off what they did to everybody knows who they are now. They're the Big Ten champions. They have that target on their back now. They have probably the best running back in the country. And people kind of know what Trace McSorley's game is. Do you think that that's a valid sort of view of them this season is being able to switch that mentality into being, okay, we're not the hunter anymore. People are coming for us. Yeah, I think there's definitely a fear that they're not going to be able to to use that underdog role to their advantage. They're not because they're not going to be the underdog. But there's still, you know, there's still locker, locker room material. I mean, there's still that feeling of a chip on their shoulder since they didn't make the playoffs and they felt that they deserved it. So I think, and, and still with, arguably the uh, the best running back in college football and one of the best quarterbacks, um, one of the best quarterbacks in the league comes down on their offensive side. Plus, you know, Joe Moorhead calling the plays in an offense that really didn't even hit its stride until halfway through the season. And now they have another year under their belt. Um, I think that there's some people who are in the program who feel that even though their preseason, what number six, people are really kind of discounting them out and as not being able to make the playoffs. Had they won that Rose Bowl, maybe it wouldn't be the same, but there's definitely a sense of unfinished business. That's why Marcus Allen came back, even though he, he contemplated going to the league. That's why Mike Gesicki came back, even though he contemplated going pro, although he probably would have been, you know, the fifth or sixth best tight end last year, whereas this year he's probably going to be one top two, if not the best. I, th I think that a lot of us, are afraid of that, but we were afraid of that, you know, going into the Big Ten Championship. Um, we were afraid of that going into the Rose Bowl, and the teams ended up performing pretty admirably. I mean, down down 21 points in the second quarter, Big Ten Championship, I turned to my friends and I was like, it's okay, you know, we've come down from this position before, and it felt like, you said it, it felt like a team of destiny. I just hope this year, my, my overarching hope for this season is that we actually score points in the first half because those blowouts that you mentioned, like Michigan State, I don't remember the exact score at halftime, but either they were winning or it, they were within three. And we ended up, as you said, like blowing them out by something like 30. 
Um, Maryland, same deal. It was really close at halftime. Even Purdue. And we, we beat Purdue by over 40 points. We ended up scoring over 60 points in West Lafayette. We were, like, tied at halftime against Purdue. That's never where you want to be. Right, exactly. We'd all, we were a second-half team of the season and of each individual game. And so that's what I'm really looking to see this year is to see them actually play a complete game. Honestly, the only complete game that I would say we played last year was against Iowa, which is kind of shocking considering the fact that the the week after we destroyed them and our backup quarterback ran a jet sweep and like trucked, what's his face, who's now uh, their first team safety. Desmond King? Desmond King. He trucked Desmond King on the way into the end zone and got scored. And we ended up, that was like, put us up 45 to 10, I think. That was, that was from start to finish. We dominated on both sides of the ball. And that was the only game that we did that. But it showed that we, we could. And so I'm, I'm really looking to see them take a win like that and couple that with the, the you know, disappointment of being up multiple scores in the Rose Bowl and having Sam Darnold go fucking double chat over us. That's, that's got to be, like, so disappointing. So I think I think they'll use that to their advantage. I, Franklin was good all throughout that nine-game winning streak about getting the players to focus on the next opponent in front of them. Like, even going into Rutgers, like you said, which everybody, you know, really should destroy Rutgers. I mean, I think between Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State, Rutgers didn't score a single point. And if Michigan State's blowing you out in their three and nine season, like you know, there's a problem. You got issues, right? Exactly. But even going into that game, Franklin was very focused on just Rutgers, not looking past Rutgers. And I, he's done a he's done a really good job for his players on not seeing past the task at hand. So I, I have confidence that he'll get them on track. Let's start gushing about James Franklin again. I could talk um twenty more minutes. <laughs> Well, when you get into the players on Penn State this season, it feels like the the best place to start off is with running back Saquon Barkley. And and it's safe to say that myself and many others listening to this podcast are about ready to see him cashing NFL paychecks right now. Sometimes soon, like, I'm done with him. We've seen him play twice. That's enough for me. I can see that he's good enough. He should be in the NFL now, if you ask me. But is there any way that he can top what he did last season when he went over 1,400 yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground? Absolutely. I mean, last year at the beginning of the season, teams set out to stop Barkley, right? Because that's what you have an elite back like Barkley lined up on the opposite side of the field from you. You do what you can. You, you stuff the box. And you dare the opposing quarterback, in this case, first-year starter, to beat you through the air. And it was a complete unknown. McSorley, just no one knew what the exact plan was going to be. No one knew McSorley's arm strength or whether he'd be able to compete, uh, sorry, complete mid- to long-range throws. So they, they, Barkley didn't get his in every single game. A lot of his stats came from, you know, one or two extremely long 70-yard touchdown runs like against Purdue and even USC. But this year they know McSorley. So opposing defensive coordinators aren't going to be able to put an eight in the box anymore and sell out to stop Barkley. They have to account for not only McSorley's ability to get the ball to the outside on his receivers and the deep ball, but the running threat as well. And um, I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of PO um, out of this offense, which they started mixing in a little bit. 
in the Minnesota game, which was the fifth game of the season last year. But I think as the season went on, they kind of pulled back on that a bit just because they didn't want McSorley to get injured. I would be surprised if we see that a lot more this year than last year, um, just because all the players are going to be more familiar with this offense um, and the intricacies and how it would work. Plus, our offense is really going to be decent this year. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the offensive line. What's the outlook for that group after being so injured last season? Well, it wasn't just injuries. I mean, let, let me say last year, we were mediocre on offensive line, and all of us were ecstatic. Because the previous two years, it was nothing short of a tire fire on the offensive line. I mean, I'm sure you've seen... That Temple game. Woof. Right, I'm sure you've seen the gif of our two guys blocking each other. I mean, it's not Florida level, but it's close. Well, and last year, we had our new offensive line coach, Matt Leingrover, who was the previous Minnesota offensive coordinator. Um, and he's just, he's turned everybody around. And of course, depth is now there. Um we had injuries, as you stated, so that meant that younger guys played earlier and they played more often and they've seen more time this year than we we knew that they would be able to a, a year ago at this time. Plus, I think having an additional year under Moorhead's offense. So they now know the scheme much, much better. They know what they need to do and they know what they need to accomplish in order to succeed. I mean, I would be surprised if Barkley doesn't this year, and that's, that's, I would say probably maybe combined between Aaron um, and on the ground. I mean, he, he's shown himself a really good option for, as a receiver as well, that field route where he destroyed TJ Watt um, in the big 10 championship game was just a thing of beauty. I mean, he can run over anybody. He can hurdle anybody. He's just a, you know, he's a, but he would not be um, um, on Rutgers's, uh, depth chart, you know, because they had like five that were better than him. <laughs> well, looking at that offense as a whole, if there was one big glaring weakness, it was inefficiency. And Penn State created a lot of second and third longs last year. And Trace McSorley and their receivers and Barkley in the passing game were able to bail themselves out of it. Has there been any talk about fixing some of those issues this season? And it's been sort of the, the main talk about their offense this year and being able to work through some of that. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of people have talked about the reliance on the deep ball, the quote-unquote 50-50 ball, which if you have Chris Godwin as your guy, I don't really think that it's 50-50 because he was able to come down with a lot more of those than um, he probably should have. I think that... Getting short yard in the first and second down has been a problem for Penn State more than the past year. And I think that it, again, goes to learning the offense more. But we've heard, and none of this has been confirmed, this is all pure speculation, but we've heard that a lot of how Joe Moorhead likes to call games is at the beginning he takes it really slow and um, and calls kind of some of those easy packages, see what the defense gives him, um, and then alters that in turn later on in the game after after figuring out you know where the opposing defense's weaknesses are now whether there's truth to that I don't know but our offense got better as the game went on um when they when they took everything on their backs and just willed the team to very week in and week out I don't know I I'm not too concerned about first and second down or conversions you know third down conversions were abysmal for us last year I think when we played you guys we converted maybe 10, 15% of our third downs. It's an absolutely horrendous number. 
but we still won that game. So not that anybody wants to rely on a special team's remarkable play, but good teams find a way to win, whether you're making those third down conversions or not. And what to do it last year, I think that playing with a little bit more confidence, more heads play calling more and trusting in, in everybody around them to get them where they need to go. I, I'm just, there's been a lot of talk on my boards about how we need to be concerned about third down conversions. And I'm just not, I mean, there was a, there was a time in the USC game where we literally had three plays in a row that went for touchdowns. And those are like reflected in the third down conversion stat. That's good offense. If you can get it right. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. I, I'd like to see them pick up the numbers, but that's not actually something that I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is our is actually. Well, let's get into that. Defensively, they lose two ends in Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwan. Evan Schwen? Schwan? Schwan. Schwan? Okay, yeah. Not the first name I've messed up today. <laughs> They're both gone. Um, what, what are some names to uh, watch for for them at, at defensive end? And do you think that's the biggest weakness of this defense? And if not, what do you, what do you think is the biggest weakness of their defense? I don't know if I would end a weakness um, because we have a lot of talent there, but most of them are unproven. I think that one of the the young names to uh, keep an eye out for is Shane Simmons, who redshirted last year, but he probably could have played if we needed him. He, I think, is going to be a beast. He's, he's a Maryland boy. Uh, like, I'm from Maryland and I went to Penn State. All the cool kids did. I think that other uh, some other names to look out for. Torrance Brown actually has been on our watch list at at first. I think two he's going to be a redshirt junior. And two years ago, when he was an incoming freshman, people thought that he might take over the depth chart at end. Um, but he, you know, two years ago he, he had Carl Nassib, who had a monster year out of nowhere, um, and served him. And then last year, Evan Schwan actually was someone that no one picked to start preseason except apparently James Franklin and Brent Pry, who put him in, and, and he did a pretty good job. I think Torrance Brown we're expecting to break out, and um, Parker Cothran. So we have two Cothrans, spelled differently. One is with an A, he's the defensive tackle. One is with an E, he's the defensive end. He had, um, Parker Cothran uh, had a really good spate when he was he was rotated in. He was We, we do a lot of... Um, defensive line rotations, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with because we did them under Larry Johnson as well. Um, and I know, I know LJ does that with you guys as well. And it, it, it helps a lot in spell defense at the end of a game when they're the ones that are still fresh and when some offensive lines are not so fresh, but Parker Cothran got a lot of, of time and defensive end, even though he never really started. So I don't know if I would consider it a weakness as the season goes on. We'll, We'll see more. I'm I'm still concerned about our linebackers. And last year, spoke of injuries on our offensive line, but locker depth. Going into last year, we knew we had three amazing starters and no one beyond them. And of course, we lost all three of the starters for at least part of the season. We lost the one who's back, Jason Kabinda. I think he missed like four to five games in the middle of the season. Brandon Bell, who's now in the league. We, we lost him for a number of games, and I actually think that his injury to end the Rose Bowl is the reason why um, USC won, because we were winning when he went out, and he actually had caught an interception and then had game-ending inter- injury on that interception. But then we had lost Naeem Wartman-White, whose kryptonite was Temple, because in 2015, when, when Temple beat us to open the season, 
Yes, I'm actually talking about that horrendous game. When Temple beat us to open the season, he actually had a season-ending injury in that game. And then this past year when we played Temple, he had a season injury against that in that game as well. Um, so we were down three starters when we went to play at Michigan. And then we had an uh, atrocious, ridiculous ejection um, for targeting of our then middle linebacking starter, Brandon Smith, who was, who was a walk-on for Kabinda. And then we ended up playing who actually won a ring with Kale Sanderson's wrestling squad the previous year because he was in at heavyweight for wrestling because the wrestlers had no one for heavyweight. So this guy who already had a national championship ring for Penn State wrestling was then in at linebacker for Penn State. He went out with a season-ending injury. We were down to like our fourth and fifth linebackers at one point last year. And yeah, it helped because in some meant the young guys that we were planning to redshirt got time. For example, Cam Brown, who I think you guys might know because he blocked a punt against Ohio State last year. Bad memories. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it was actually really kind of shocking. He, he was, he's last year as a true freshman, he was very erratic. Some games he would do amazing things like that blocked punt. And then other games he would just be completely out of position and you'd be wondering what the heck he was seeing on the field. But he, that gave him a lot of time. You know, he saw playing time. So going into his, now his sophomore season, he's much more seasoned. And he's not even going to be our starter. Um, right now, Kabila is back. He's going to be our starter. And he's awesome because he has a neck roll, which is very throwback Penn state And Brandon Smith, who spelled Kabila for injury, he's actually sliding over to, I don't know, a weaker strong side linebacker, but he's going to be an outside linebacker this year. So the question is, who's going to take over um, on the other outside? And we have a lot of young talent that we're looking to do that. Probably Manny Bowen, who's started, I think, four or five games last year when, when Bell was out. He'll probably be in the mix. But so will Koa Farmer, who actually, for a really long time, was under Bob Shoup, who was our coordinator prior to last year and now is at Tennessee. Um, he was a hybrid, like what he called a star linebacker, which is like a defensive back linebacker hybrid. But supposedly he's put on like 30 pounds this off season, um, and is now over 230. And I remember when we recruited him, he was like at barely over 200, maybe 210. So I, I I'm still concerned because no, we only have returning linebacker starter, and some guys are really prone to injuries. So linebacker huge concern defensive backs not a concern at all by the way yeah I wanted to ask you about that as well what do you think the biggest strength of the defense is is it those defensive backs absolutely I think I would have I would have said it with even more conviction if that's possible if um, John Reed hadn't been injured for the season he was our um, starting corner last year um, and he's carrying his name a lot and that's because teams tended to throw away from him but he's actually out for the entire season he actually isn't even at at camp right now I think he has a internship with a computer company across across the country um, so he's not even with the team right now but we have a lot of young talent in the defensive backfield uh, Marcus Allen I, I mentioned him before that he he actually debated going into the league last year but he came back um, and I'd be actually shocked if not on some all American lists this year then we have in terms of cornerbacks to take up where where Reed left, we have one of the best cornerbacks in the 17 recruiting class, which is Lamont Wade. Um, he 
probably will sign now that Reed is out because he's just too talented, really, to leave off the field. And then we have another guy that I think you guys might be familiar with named Grant Haley. So he's probably going to be um, – he and Christian Campbell actually would ex- expect to be the starters at cornerback this year. Um, but I would I would really be surprised if Wade doesn't push himself into that starting role by the end of the year. Very, very pleased with the depth we have at the defensive backfield. Um, like even if even if a guy or two goes down with injuries, I I really don't I don't really see much weakness back there. Well, looking at Penn State overall, what do you think a best case worst case scenario for them is this season? Best case is fifteen and zero. Obviously, I'm, it's the same as the best case for Ohio State, right? You could see the potential there to go undefeated. Um, I'm not it would be easy because there's by no means would that be easy. But I, I don't I don't know if how realistic that is. If we played you guys at home, then it would be more realistic to me. Um, I think worst case regular season, it's hard for me to say. Like I want to say nine and three. I'm the pessimism is me. I'm so used to being down on our our town, thinking nine and three is the ceiling that it feels weird for me to say that that might be the floor this year. But then looking at the schedule, I don't know if I even see three teams that we couldn't, that would be an issue. Cause I, I honestly, I'd be shocked if we, if we go undefeated, I, I'm, I would, I'm picking Ohio state to beat Penn state, but Franklin has shown from his actions last year that the risk factor is really big for him. Um, so I would be shocked if Pitt doesn't lose to Penn state by, at least for scores. <laughs> um, and then Michigan as well. Like I would, especially because that's at Penn state. Um, I would, I would be surprised if, if we don't, if we don't win going away in that one too. So looking at the schedule, I just don't know besides that Ohio state game. I mean, I guess um, it's North playing, you know, in Evanston is sure it's going to be a noon game, which means 11 o'clock our time. Um, and they're, they're pretty decent this year. Um, although, I hate Pat Fitzgerald. Such an ass. I don't know. I'm not really afraid of Iowa at Iowa, though I probably should be. I was there in 2012 when Bill O'Brien and Matt McGloin rolled in and beat them by like four scores. It was the stripe out in Kinnick Stadium, and it was the most amazing away game experience I've ever had in my life. Um, so ever since then, it, I, I don't fear playing at Iowa anymore. Plus, Kirk Ferentz is always very good against offensive teams that are like him, you know, that are, I don't want to say plotting because no one's really plotting anymore, but yeah, you know, like ball on the ground, playing kind of field position football, not offenses that have multiple fronts like Penn State runs right now. And that's one of the reasons why I think Penn State was able to kind of roll over Iowa last year. And then Iowa turned around the next week and beat Michigan because Harbaugh installs more looking offense. Uh, which plays into Ference's exactly what Ference wants out of his uh, the opposing team. So I don't know. I'm just not I'm not as nervous about that as I probably should be. I mean, talk to me again in six months when we like miss a bowl game, right? But I don't know. That'd be rough. I know it would be really bad. And then I, I could even be on to on the questioning Franklin train then. But I don't I don't see that happening. So do you think 11 and 1 is a fair expectation for Penn State this year? I absolutely think 11 and 1 um is very reasonable. 
I think maybe 10 and two, because you never know what might happen um, with some, some game that is unexpected. Indiana always plays us tough. And now that they have a defensive minded coach, you guys have Kevin Wilson. I don't know what to make about Indiana, but it's at home for us. And we play very differently at home than we do. We haven't, we haven't lost a game. I, I say this right now and we're going at home, but we haven't lost a game at home since Michigan in 2015. And that was the only game we, that's the only game we've lost in the last two seasons at home. I mean, same with Ohio State, right? You guys don't lose at home. Like, you just don't. That's what, that's what being a, I, I, I lo- I'm loath to use the word elite, but an upper echelon NCAA Division One football program does. You, you play at home and you defend your home turf. So if Indiana was played in, in Bloomington again, I might feel differently. But I just, I don't, I don't fear it. I don't even fear, I don't fear Maryland. The uh, well, I, I don't think many people fear the Terps this year, but we we uh, we actually previewed them a couple weeks ago, and I think that they're at the very least on. There's reasons to be optimistic about them. I think there's more reasons to be about them going forward than there is for Michigan State right yeah, now. Yeah, I actually don't disagree. Um, I think that the biggest hurdle for Maryland is the fact that they're in a division with. Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Yeah, that really sucks for everybody else in this division. Yeah, yeah. How about that? But it is, uh, you know, like it was last year, it's going to be the toughest division in college football, the SEC East of days of yore. And as I thought last year, whoever wins that division really should be in the playoff, just because it's... (laughs) I see the the subtle shot. It took me a second. (laughs) I was waiting (laughs) Yeah, I was waiting for that. I mean, when you have three teams in one division in the top 10 preseason, and yes, I'm fully aware preseason polls mean jack shit, and really there shouldn't be any polls out until October, and I've been an advocate for that. But there's validity to why those three teams are in the top 10. I mean, in the top 10, the one that doesn't have a lot of validity to me is Michigan because they lost so damn much. I think they only have five returning starters. And yet they're slotted preseason like a spot higher than they were last year, which kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's the Jim Harbaugh factor, right? You can never discount him. Even though as a head coach, he's never even won his division, let alone his conference. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're not going to get any disagreement from me or anybody else listening to this I know, podcast. I figured, I figured. I figured. I'm not a fan. I actually... I actually don't mind Meyer, but I just don't like Harbaugh. That's rare too. I know, um, but Harbaugh and Pat Fitzgerald, those are the those are the coaches. I like Ferentz too. I'm one of the few Penn- who actually likes Iowa. Most most Penn Staters hate Iowa for 2008 when they were our only loss on the year. But I've met too many good Iowa fans, like too many just good people who cheer for that program that I just can't I can't hate them. I think most people are like me that like i i have nothing against iowa i like iowa but like it's it's that relationship where it's like i want you to break up with kirk ferentz i want you to have the happiness you deserve (laughs) yeah i mean that's true it's kind of hilarious for the rest of us who are not a part of that fan base to watch him get like essentially lifetime extensions um after a shock nine-win season when everybody predicted them to have four wins right after the extension, you know, go le- under 500. It's 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 kind of funny. Not if you're an Iowa fan, though. Are there any other Penn State topics you think we should hit? 
close up on before we wrap it up? Do you do you talk about wrestling at all? Professional wrestling or collegiate wrestling because i I could have a professional wrestling talk with you for like the next hour if you wanted to well speaking of professional wrestling mma penn state's actually going to be hosting bellator this year that was just announced i don't know if you're into mma at all i'm not but on the subject of collegiate wrestling as good as some of the ohio state penn state games have been in recent years the two wrestling programs have been pretty damn good on the mat as well yeah, 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 and that, that's why I brought it up, actually. To be to be frank with you, I actually, I can't stand Ohio State's wrestling coach. I'm cool with Meyer, and I, I can't stand Tom Ryan, but I know that there are people who feel the same way about Kel Sanderson. Um, Ohio State wrestling, man, you guys have some of the best wrestlers. I, just I want to dislike some of those Ohio State wrestlers because I'm a complete mat head. Kyle Snyder is, like, him wrestling is just a thing of beauty. And I don't know if you saw after the NCAA wrestling tournament last year, there was a poll of everybody on campus in Columbus of who the best athlete on um, Ohio State's campus was. And Kyle Snyder, the returning Olympic champion. And I like pitched a Twitter fit. That doesn't surprise me. It, it, it shouldn't, right? Like, because JT Barrett is more well known, it's football, blah, blah, blah. But he's a fucking Olympian. Like, he won the gold medal at age 20. You can't do that unless you're a freak athlete. There's that, and, you know, I I may catch some heat for this. If you're still listening to this podcast 50 minutes in, thank you. We appreciate it. (laughs) But a lot of Ohio State fans, I'm not going to say everybody, but there's definitely a portion. You've seen this with the basketball team, and granted, there hasn't been a lot of reason for faith the past couple of years, but they were so good for so long that I feel like they deserve more of a benefit of the doubt than what they've gotten from fans and and students. And, you know, even if you are an Olympian and we've seen Kyle Snyder at halftime, you know, be the the special guest and and get a standing ovation, but no matter what, it's always just going to come back down to football for Ohio state fans, whether that's right or wrong. I don't know, but you know, it has to take something significant and like you're saying an olympic gold medal should be enough but i think he he gets love but probably not as much as he deserves for you know being an olympian i don't know this is i I didn't think we'd end the podcast on this but i feel like i feel like it's a good place to end up on and to be logical and from where we started with you know where ohio state and penn state are what do you expect and you kind of alluded to this how do you think that game's gonna go the way that Ohio State operates, and especially Urban Meyer operates, you know that's going to be a game that they have circled. The big one that I always look back to is the Michigan State game from 2014 after they lost to them in the Big Ten title game. And they didn't even do the old, oh, you know, it's just another game. Last year was last year. They were like, no, no, no. We we want revenge. Like, <laughs> we want this. And, and they don't make a secret of that. And I, I think that that's going to be something – going to be very interesting regardless of how either team looks coming into the game I, I think that that's going to be the one to decide the division oh I agree and I would actually argue that it probably will decide the the conference title because I don't know who um on on the other in the would actually be able to win but yeah I I think the biggest difference between that MSU game or the lead up to the MSU game and the one that probably will take place um, October is there's kind of anger on both sides. You know, the Ohio State players and coaches 
are going to be upset because they lost last year. Um, but Penn State players and coaches are upset that Ohio State beat, uh, you know, got into the playoff over them and then proceeded to not score a point. Unfortunately, that is very true. So, so I think that that's a very different dynamic than it was three years ago. Although I, I mean, the comparison is not completely there. There is um, some aptness there, but obviously Ohio State, the way that, that your guys' season ended, feels like you guys have unfinished business, and we feel the same way. So I, I think it'll be a really good game. I don't know. I, I'm loath to say it'll be low scoring just because of our offense, but I think it'll be very, very close. I doubt that we'll see as many sloppy plays this year as we did last year. I mean, we blocked up. Obviously, we blocked the, that field at six. We blocked another punt. You blocked a punt that was um, that we fell on for a safety. You know, there was a lot of special teams miscues last year for both sides. That is very rare for both teams. So I don't expect it to be that kind of wonky of a game this year. I think it'll be more traditional. But I, I think that I, I do think that Ohio State pulls it out just by factor of it being at home. You cannot discount playing at home in front of a hostile crowd for Penn State um, and obviously a very, very friendly, amped up crowd for Ohio State. Yeah, I think you, you make a good point on looking at it from the Penn State side that despite beating Ohio State and Ohio State coming in with the revenge factor that Penn State also has a chip on their shoulder too you know, not getting into the playoff despite winning the conference. So I, I think that there's multiple layers to this. You you add in, you know, the the tension or whether it's real or not between Urban Meyer and James Franklin. There's there's a lot of really good stuff that I think will be that can be talked about heading into this game. And if you guys want to keep up with any of it from the Penn State side, I would recommend that you visit Black Shoe Diaries. Dot com and also give them a follow on Twitter at BSD Tweet. And then, Carrie, where can they follow you on Twitter? I am at Not Carlotta on Twitter. Um, and then sometimes I do tweet from the BSD account. But if you if you want a perspective on anything, don't at me. No, I'm kidding. You can at me. Give her a follow on Twitter, at her, ask her Penn State questions, tell her how great of a coach you think Pat Fitzgerald is. Oh, God. What, what you really can do is we can mutually gush over Kyle Snyder and Colin Moore, who's actually one weight below him, who I also like for, for Ohio State wrestling. You can also talk collegiate wrestling with her. She has all the knowledge. Give her a follow on Twitter, at NotCarlotta. We really marathoned this thing. I wasn't expecting that. We did. We did. I'm proud of us, especially with there only being two of us on the podcast. Yeah, usually these go pretty well, but as I'm sure you know from recording podcasts, sometimes it's like trying to pull teeth, and it feels like, man, I did all this research on your team. Like, should I write for your team site? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I, I generally do like to talk, and I am uh, one of the women who does follow football pretty pretty closely and have for since I was a kid. Well, make sure to follow all of Carrie's work on Twitter, at NotCarlotta. Once again, go to BlackShoeDiaries.com and follow them on Twitter, at BSDTweet. That's, that's pretty much it. Let's wrap it up there. Carrie, thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a good time at Langrant Holy Land. Thanks to Kerry once again for joining the show and talking about Penn State. I have a feeling that that's going to be a very charged up game and can't wait to see Ohio State try to get some revenge on Penn State. But I thought that uh, that Kerry brought up a great point that Penn State isn't going to be coming into that one without some sort of chip on their shoulder as well after 
missing out on the playoffs. So probably going to be storylines galore headed into that game. Can't wait to check it out. Be sure to go to blackshoediaries.com and follow all of their work about Penn State and the upcoming season. want to thank you all for listening to the show. If you like the show or want to hear any of the other preview podcasts that we've done here on Land Grant Holy Land, make sure to go to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland. And you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts by searching the Hangout in the Holy Land there. If you have any questions about the podcast also, make sure to send me a tweet at Dubsco. Let me know what you think. Keep an eye on your podcast feed. We still have four more of these episodes to go, and the season starts in about a week and a half, so there's going to be a lot of content coming your way as well as a preview of the Indiana game as we get closer to the 31st and Ohio State season opener. So be on the lookout for that. Until then, though, I want to thank you all for listening. My name is Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.